food is the hardest. Weight struggles are the hardest. I mean, just all the things I've struggled with my life, it's been the hardest. And if you have struggled in that way, I just want to say you're not alone and your brain has been fighting you. There is a reason why you have started with such deep gut level conviction that you're going to tackle this one and get it this time. And then a few months later, it's all just fizzled away and you're back eating in a way that isn't in alignment with your goals, your ambitions, your highest vision for yourself. I just want you to know you're not alone. You're not alone. And there is a reason that that has continued to happen in your brain. And Brightline Eating can solve that and explain that for you. But I just want mostly, I want you to know you're not alone. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. There's something about the way that fake processed food is made that makes it so addictive. I was pretty blown away when I learned about the tens of millions of dollars that's poured into research and creation of the irresistible processed cookies, cakes, ice cream, potato chips, even sauces like barbecue sauce and ketchup. Just the research on mouth feel, you know, that combination of the perfect amount of fat and sugar to coat your tongue, to make it feel so irresistible that you just want to finish the entire pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Yeah, it is no surprise given how much companies spend on making us addicted to food that millions of us are struggling with food addiction. Pair that with struggles with emotional eating and hormone issues, it's no wonder we are struggling to lose that stubborn weight. Now, although I've had experts on the show addressing emotional eating, and I've talked a lot about our metabolic hormones, I have never done a deep dive into the research behind food addiction, and I've been wanting to bring on an expert to uncover what is going on with the fact that we're in the midst of an obesity epidemic with skyrocketing rates of obesity across this country in the past decade, and especially in the last two to three years since the pandemic has started. Despite the fact that almost 50% of people actively try to lose weight every single year, what is it that we're getting wrong? Well, luckily, I am not the only one committed to figuring out what's going on with our metabolism and all of the intricacies involved in it, especially around our food and the chemical dependency that we can experience when we're eating certain foods. So I invited Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson to the show, and she has devoted her career to getting to the root cause and find a solution to what is going on with the weight loss struggle. And that's what we're going to be talking about on today's show. Now, before I bring out Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson to the show, I want to quickly sing her praises. Susan Pierce Thompson is a PhD and an adjunct associate professor of brain and cognitive sciences at the University of Rochester. She is the president of the Institute for Sustainable Weight Loss and the founder of the worldwide Brightline Eating Movement. Her first two books include Brightline Eating, The Science of Living Happy, Thin and Free, became... New York Times bestsellers, and instant Hay House favorites. The Brightline Eating mission is to help 1 million people around the globe discover lasting food freedom and have their Brightline transformations by 2025. Well, that is an incredible goal, and I'm super excited to welcome her onto the show. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? This powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 500 reactions inside of the body. Now, magnesium is your best friend if you want more energy, better sleep, a humming metabolism, improved digestion, happy periods, and a happy mood. 
And luckily, you can quickly replenish your magnesium stores with my Essentially Holes Magnesium Restore Supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Now use the promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire first order at drmarisa.com slash store. That's D-R-M-A-R-I-Z-A dot com slash store. I will have the link in the show notes for this episode. You are definitely going to want to try it today. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson. How are you doing today? I'm great, Marisa. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Today we are talking about this is this is your zone of genius. And this is, I mean, my gosh, it's like the million dollar question, which is why we are struggling so much to lose weight. And we're specifically going to be talking about that struggle around food addiction. And what I'm really excited about before we get into the nuts and bolts of this, not only the why behind it, but then what we can do to actually reverse it, because you have figured that out. But what I would love is for you to take a moment, Dr. Thompson, and talk to me a little bit about what was the impetus? Like, what was that defining moment for you when you knew this was the solution you wanted to solve? It all comes from my own personal experience, Marisa, my own struggle, my own background. Um, So at first, food wasn't really my struggle. I mean, I guess I was a little overweight as a kid. I weighed more actually when I was 11 than I do now. And by high school, I was definitely looking to take off weight. But what happened was I kind of took a sharp left turn and got into drugs. And uh, there are definitely a lot of drugs that will help, you know, keep weight off you. Um, Specifically, I got into speed and crystal meth and then cocaine and then ultimately crack cocaine. I dropped out of high school. I turned to prostitution. So that's kind of where I was at when I was 19. And then turning 20, I got clean and sober. Thank God. So I haven't had a drink or a drug now in 27 years. So that's sort of the foundation of my life and the foundation of really how I look at addiction. But my addiction just hopscotched from drugs over to food. And so that's when I really developed a wicked bad food problem. So I gained weight hand over fist. I was obese by my mid-20s. And I tried the 12-step approach to solving my food problem, which, which works sometimes. And there's a lot of different 12-step food programs, but it didn't, it, it wasn't easy like the drug and alcohol thing was. I mean, for one thing, you can't abstain completely. So it was way harder. I did finally lose my excess weight when I was 28. And so I've been in a right-sized body, you know, genetically right-sized for my frame and, you know, and my sort of sensibility of my best brightest body for gosh, 18 years now. So that's a long time. Most people who are obese don't get into a normal BMI and stay there for 18 years. And it was a few years later after I'd gotten my education, my PhD is in brain and cognitive sciences. And I was a psychology professor for 16 years, got tenure. And I was teaching a college course on the psychology of eating and the neuroscience of food addiction. And it's, that's when all the work I was doing, helping people lose their excess weight, kind of married with, I was teaching students about how the brain works around food addiction. And I was like, I need to get this message out to the world because nobody is helping people lose weight in a helpful way. And that was you know, my opinion, but that's where it came from, sort of my own background. Well, I just want a little bit to unpack there. One, I just love that you connected the dots, right? That, that your journey into, and what was the inspiration of wanting to go into, to get your PhD? Was it just wanting to understand kind of the chemistry around addiction or you were just really fascinated with the way the mind worked? I was just, just curious about that. 
Yeah, I was fascinated with how the mind works. I always wanted to be a scientist as a little kid, and I was a good student until I got waylaid by drugs. And so I was, you know, I went to UC Berkeley. I was excited to study the mind and the brain, and cognitive science was a new field then. And it was just really hot. I was really excited to get into it. But I was also kind of driven by this fascination of like, how can a brain like mine go so far off the rails? I mean, I knew I had some talent, some capacity, but I was so thrown into the ditch with my addictions. And I was just kind of fascinated by it because I knew that there were times when I couldn't stop acting in my own worst interests, you know, even things that I knew I didn't want to be doing and I was doing them anyway. So I was pretty fascinated by that. Like, how does the brain get hijacked so that we act against ourselves? Yeah. And I was curious, yeah, I know you had that bout of a drug addiction when you were super, super young. And then ultimately that led, I mean, would you say addiction is addiction that, I mean, clearly there are some addictions that are more stronger than others. The reason why I'm asking is I have a sister who had a drug addiction for over a decade and she is not doing those drugs anymore, but she, before it was a drug addiction, it was a food addiction when she was younger. And then she actually used drugs to lose weight and then ended up unfortunately was not able to get off of them for quite some time. Then finally turned a corner and went back to food. And so now she's stuck in that addiction. The pattern's still there. She just transformed it into something or what it originally was. And so I think a lot of people, you know, can relate definitely to the food addiction piece, but just more so trying to understand the chemistry, the neurochemistry of addiction in general, and if it kind of all blends the same in a lot of ways. Yeah, it is. It's one self-same addiction. And, and that part of the brain, it's the nucleus accumbens deep in the addiction reward pathway of the brain. The nucleus accumbens, once those dopamine receptors are downregulated, meaning they're, they're thinned out, they're not very responsive, they're kind of sluggish. Once they're like that, and that can happen from cocaine use, from you know smoking a bajillion cigarettes, it can come from eating a lot of donuts, but anything that gives an onslaught, we're watching a lot of pornography, right? Anything that gives that onslaught of dopamine to that area of the brain causes it to downregulate and to kind of respond to the onslaught by responding less the next time, which is fine as long as you're going to keep using right? But as soon as you try to stop using, that's when you don't feel okay. And that's something people mostly don't understand is that the addict isn't using to get high after a while. They're using to get normal, just to feel okay for a bit, just to function. And so it is the same. Food addiction acts on the same circuits as drug and alcohol addiction. And when you talk about that downregulation of serotonin, is that a protective mechanism for the brain? So it's dopamine. Oh, sorry. But actually, it's interesting. Serotonin receptors downregulate a bit too. Endocannabinoid receptors downregulate a bit too. I think there was another one, but I forget. But yeah, there's a lot of brain circuits that look the same in food addiction as in drug addiction, including heightened cue reactivity, meaning the sights, the sounds, the smells, the precursors to the hit all light up the brain extra strong. So it is a protective mechanism for the brain that that basically, yeah, when you're giving it too much stimulation, it shields itself by responding less, essentially. Yeah, I was just thinking of kind of along the lines of, I mean, it's a very different system, the endocrine system, but like insulin resistance, right? The body, the right. cells just are like, no, uh-uh. Yeah, no Wait, more. way too much glucose yeah. on board and we need to kind of tune our knobs, right? To be less sensitive. Exactly. It's the same thing. 
Well, I want to steer because I know specifically we're talking about food addiction, and I'm so grateful that we already got into the neurobiology of it specifically because I wanted to just tease into your story because I think so many people can relate to, to some level of that story and trying to figure out like, oh, is there a connection here? But as you and I both know, we have a major epidemic and it's not the pandemic that I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about the obesity epidemic that we are dealing with. And I want to speak into you about, I know we're talking about food addiction today, but when you look at this and you look at the science, you look at that research, what is the why behind why we have such a massive obesity epidemic today? It's very multifaceted, but I think addiction is driving a lot of it. And I think addiction is the factor that's not being talked about, not being looked at, not being considered. Oftentimes, obesity is assumed to be food addiction when really they're separable. So for example, I did a study that shows that 22% of normal weight people, people at a normal BMI, test out as fully food addicted, like full-blown food addiction, 22% of people. So you can be addicted to food without having a weight problem. Maybe you're running 10 miles a day to give yourself permission to have the cup of low fat, non-fat frozen yogurt with artificial aspartame or something that you're craving to have, or you might be totally crazy with food and still maintaining a normal weight somehow, right? By hook or by crook. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got people with class three extreme morbid obesity who don't test out with the highest level of food addiction, maybe a moderate level of food addiction. But I think addiction is driving a lot of it. And, you know, all the things that people already talk about, more sedentary lifestyles. And but but really I think that the buzz phrase of obesogenic environment is spot on, right? Food is just way more available, it's way more palatable. And the drive toward processed foods, it's a massive factor. So research shows now that among kids and adolescents, two thirds of the calories they're eating are would be classified as ultra processed foods, meaning they never grew from a field anywhere. They were born in a factory from chemical industrial ingredients and poured into a bag and sealed off and shipped to a you know convenience store. Two thirds of the foods that kids and adolescents are eating. And that re we have research, good research showing that that really changes the brain. And it even makes it hard to go back to regular food which is why our kids fight us after they're exposed to all those foods when we try to cook them a normal dinner. Yeah, no, it's so, I've, I've dove so much into this over the last year or so. I, I told you I have a, a one-year-old and I was really fascinated by even women with gestational diabetes, whether there was food addictions or whatever was going on there, children are a higher propensity. It's probably driven by not only insulin resistance out the gate and but definitely chemistry in the brain that drives them in that direction. And so I believe it's like 50% of children whose moms had gestational diabetes are going to be obese. Yeah. I, I actually heard that the number one predictor of obesity is not how you're eating. It's not how your parents ate. It's not whether your parents are obese, but it's how your mom ate when you were in utero. And because the, the glucose and the insulin, they cross the placental barrier and they're already tuning up that fetus's system, right? And, and predisposing that not yet born infant for bad outcomes. Yeah, for obesity. Yeah, I had Dr. Perlmutter on the show not too long ago, and that was very much the conversation. It's like, when do we get this under control? When do we manage metabolic flexibility? And he's like, in utero, that's when you... <laughs> When you have no control is when that needs to be managed. And I think it was important for people to hear that. 
because there is a lot of changes in chemistry going on. And then as you had mentioned, you know, the food industry, um, especially targeting children and, and teenagers and young adults to fire off dopamine, to fire off those sensors, to make us more addicted to those foods. And it's so easy. We were, we were just at the zoo a couple days ago, as one does with a, with a baby. And there next to me was a toddler, uh, um, a three-year-old or a two-year-old. And she had Doritos in one hand and a Powerade in the other, some red Powerade. And then the mama was trying to put cotton, like, like literally trying to feed her cotton candy. And I was just like, oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. And this little yeah. girl, I mean, she like, it's like, God, she didn't stand a chance, you know, in a, in a sense, like the fact that she even knew what power aid was, was mind blowing to me. And so I, I know that we're dealing with a lot here and I'm, I'm probably going a little bit off topic, but so the food industry, we, we know that additives and preservatives, we know that, ke- that food is chemically engineered for addiction. Um, and is anything else at play that's driving some of this addiction as well? I think the breakdown of meal structure is a big thing. So in my program, I teach people to get back to breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And we know there's such a great body of research now showing that the timing of meals is really important and the fasting window is really important. It's really important to give your body a rest from digesting and give it a good 12, 14 hours between bites of food overnight. And over the last 100 years or so, we've seen a tremendous breakdown in our societal attachment to meal structure. We used to really eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And at some point over the last you know, couple of decades, it's, it's disintegrated to the point where you can't go to a business meeting at 10 a.m. without them passing around bagels and Danish as if you know, people are going to starve to death between breakfast and lunch, right? Like you just, it's, it's just everywhere all the time, right? So that ultra availability, ultra palatability, it's all driving it. It's all driving it. And then you know, the, the challenge is not everyone is equally affected, right? Some brains are really susceptible to the pull of addictive foods and bad eating rhythms. And those are the people that I fight to protect their brains, you know, like uh, people who are on the high end of the food addiction susceptibility scale. And I've got a quiz I give people so that they, that they can be forewarned about what kind of brain they've got, because one third of people are not vulnerable at all. One third of people are moderately susceptible. And then one third of people are really sitting ducks for having brains that are going to pull them beyond reason to these foods. And once you know that you're in that category, then you can start to think about it differently. Like, okay, now we might need to start thinking about some abstinence. Just like if we were a two pack a day smoker and we really wanted to get healthy, moderating our nicotine consumption wouldn't be the thing. It would be quitting smoking, quitting smoking. Maybe you need to wean off to, to as your pathway to quitting, but ultimately you're trying to become a non-smoker. And so I teach people to become people who don't eat sugar and flour anymore. You know, we eat all whole real foods, but just not those processed white powder drugs. We don't, we don't engage with them. Yeah. I was thinking when you were speaking that willpower doesn't work. You can only have so much willpower. I would say that I'm in the, I'm in the category of, I've got some pretty good discipline and willpower. But if I'm having a moment, if I'm having a (laughs) exhausted, overwhelmed, I'm about to kill my husband kind of day and and it is in the house, then I am going to find it. Every, every, most days I'm good. 
Now, my husband, on the other hand, I don't mind throwing him under the bus. He is definitely on the other side of the spectrum. And so we it's it's really easy for him to just to just go and grab whatever. And so for that reason, we don't keep anything in the house. We keep my mom and my sister call us the boring house. There is nothing fun in this house. There's no fun foods for anybody. And so if we want a fun food, um, you better go get it. Like, I mean, like it's a special treat for a special time. You know what I'm saying? But it's never in the house just because that has been my experience that even, even someone like myself who I feel has decent willpower, I'll have a bad day. And all of a sudden that huge chocolate bar is gone. You know? It's- yeah. <laughs> well, you're exactly right that, uh, willpower is a fickle friend and it, it frequently will not show up for us, especially in the clutch moment. And the reason for that is where it's governed in the brain is, is this little, it's this little place called the anterior cingulate cortex. It sits right behind the prefrontal cortex. So if you point to your third eye on your forehead, like two inches behind that, And this little area of the brain is a bottleneck. It's trying to govern all kinds of things, including helping you make decisions, regulate your emotional impulses, resisting temptations, and monitoring your task performance. And the problem with this part of the brain is it gets exhausted, just pooped out, won't work sluggish after 15 minutes of intensive use. So if you've been checking email, that's making decisions. What should I answer now? Reply all, reply later. Should I file it? Should I, you know, is there, do I have to do something before I can reply to this guy? Whatever. You know, that decision-making drains that part of your brain. Now you go sit in traffic for a little bit and have to rein in your emotional impulses. Then you got get into the house and, you know, you turn to your, to your partner and you say, let's order a pizza. Right. And it's like, you know, that's not on your food plan. Right. But it's Friday night. It's been a long week. And that part of your brain is not showing up for you in the clutch situation. And nor is so, your partner. <laughs> let's be, let's just not. pull that out. Okay. <laughs> That's my husband Touché. right there that you Touché. just described. <laughs> exactly. So what I teach people in Brightline Eating is a system that actually assumes that you will never have any willpower, like ever. And the way you make that work is you set up your eating kind of like a lot of people have set up their teeth brushing, right? For a lot of us, we get teeth brushing done, whether we're sick or well, whether we've been up late or not, whether we're in the mood to do it or not. We don't need a sticky note on our bathroom mirror to say, don't forget to brush your teeth today. We just do it. It's cued by a particular time of day and a particular flow of actions, right? Time and place cues you to brush your teeth and you just get it done. And that's how I teach people to eat. So I teach people a system for eating that wires it in. And this is where the three meals a day becomes really important because you can't do that six times a day. You can get it done for breakfast, lunch, and dinner where you've got time of day cues to sort of stop and eat. But six times a day is too, it's too unwieldy. I get it. So we're wiring the brain for those three three times a day. I love, I call this three meal magic. I just love, love, like, cause that's it. That's all, that's three meals. I'm so glad people are talking about that now. Cause 20 years ago, no, no, like no one was talking about that. Like meal timing wasn't a thing yet, but there's a lot of good research on it that grazing all the time is not good for your system. No, it's completely, I mean, and we think about not only the, there, there's something to be said about the addiction component of this that doesn't feel good. Like you say, and trying to get back to that normal, just trying to feel like you're functioning. But you think about mm-hmm. All the symptoms behind it as well. You have sluggish mitochondria. You've got metabolic dysfunction. You've got you're driving blood sugar roller coaster up and down. You've got cravings. You're moody. Leptin resistance. 
which makes you feel like you're starving all the time. All the time. You can eat a whole dinner and then sit down and eat chips. And then once the bag of chips is gone, you need ice cream in front and of you're the TV at night and you're totally exhausted. So like totally. for me back in the day when I was, when I, when I would say if ever there was a time where I was really feeling the cravings or the addiction was I was so exhausted that by usually two or three o'clock in the afternoon, I just needed something to get me through the next eight hours of my day evening time, you know, and it's because I just, I had nothing, I had no mitochondrial reserves. And so, you know, and and it's this catch 22 where this, this three o'clock sugar snack or whatever it was, was just driving this greater roller coaster, which was depleting my mitochondria. And so, yeah. And you just find yourself in this rapid in this loop. I know a lot of people are doing it, just juicing with caffeine and sugar to get through a too busy life, you know, and it is a very, self-defeating downward spiral, right? It just feeds on itself. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about the solution, about what you've really learned in all of your research and the Brightline kind of protocol. Let's, let's just kind of start. I think people are peaked in terms of like the three meals a day. And you're saying that you've got cues for them, the way in which the same way that we use it for brushing our teeth, right? That it's yeah. an automatic cue. I teach people to set up a morning habit stack, have a routine in the morning and an evening habit stack. And there's a very specific food plan in Brightline Eating that also makes it easier to stick with the system when you're traveling, when you're eating out. So I go anywhere freely in the world. It's not like I have to stay tethered to my own kitchen, but it takes a little while to get the whole system set up. And this is an appropriate approach for someone who really wants to get their excess weight off, like really is tired of carrying around that excess weight, being exhausted all the time and thinking too much about what they're eating, not eating, whether they're on their plan or off their plan. Most people who come to Brightline Eating have tried so many other approaches, like nothing has worked, but this works. This works. You have to want it. You have to want it. It's not, it's not a gimmick. It's not a get skinny fast pill. You know, it's not, it's none of that, right? It's none of that. It's straight science. It's very effective, but you, you've got to seriously be willing to, to give it a try. Mm. And around the mindset around this, do we need to get to a place where we've kind of reconciled the fact that there is some addiction here, that we fall into some triggers or that we are struggling with cravings or do we it just simply, we know that we're holding on to weight that isn't serving us. We know we may have some type of metabolic issue going on and we just need a system that's going to help manage that. Either way, I think either way, really, because some people come really knowing that they have a profoundly addictive relationship with food and some people come not knowing that at all. And maybe they don't. Brightline eating can be overkill for someone who's got no food addiction on board, but it could be just what they're looking for, right? Like, I don't know if you've heard uh, Gretchen Rubin has this distinction between moderators and abstainers, which is a really interesting distinction. You know, if someone's sort of an abstainer by nature, like, look, I'd just rather have the cut and dried solution. I'm going to prefer to rip the bandaid off every time. If I've got to quit smoking, I'm not using a patch. I'm going to freaking stop. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to decide to be ready. That's right. I'm going to dive into the deep end of the pool. If it's cold, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll adapt once I'm in there, you know, for anyone who's like that, bright light eating might be a godsend regardless of, of addiction or no on board. Cause it like, it makes it clear what to eat, what not to eat. 
how to structure your food life so that you're winning the food game every day, period, right? And some people just want that. Like, oh my gosh, it's so confusing and contradictory out there. Should I, can I eat eggs, not eat eggs? Can I eat bananas, not eat bananas? Like you try to go out there in the world and get advice on how to eat and it's it's a mess, right? Mm -hmm. So some people who just, they, they come to me with just open hands and open arms and just say, Susan, just teach me how to eat. And I say, I certainly will. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. And so, so not only is it the structured of the, what I call, what I love to call three mil magic, but then also real clarity on like, it's, it's kind of done for you in the sense of like, this is what we eat. This is what we are not eating. And it's for everybody, whether they're addicted or not, because let's be honest, sugar and processed flour, which I call sugar anyway, is not serving anybody anytime soon. It's not serving anybody. And there's nobody's plan that says eat a lot of that food, right? No, Everybody's never. in agreement that we need to not eat those foods. Okay, absolutely. Absolutely. And so basically it's not like it's tailored. There's just, Hey, here, here's the parameters that we're going yeah. by. Okay. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and if someone is, I would say a nine or a 10, an eight, nine or 10 on the food addiction susceptibility scale, they're going to need bright line eating to have any kind of hope for a peaceful life with food. That's just my professional opinion. I could be wrong, you know, and, and God bless anyone who figures out another way to do it. I'm just speaking from my own 27 years of, you know, beating my head against a brick wall with this stuff. You know, it's just a, it's a long road until you figure out what to do, but you can find out what kind of brain you have on that just by going to brightlineeating.com and taking the quiz. So there's a quiz on the bright line eating homepage. Bright, bright is B-R-I-G-H-T-L-I-N-E-E-A-T-I-N-G, brightlineeating.com. Yeah. And just take the quiz. We're going to have it in the show notes too. And, and again, the quiz is on the front page, which we'll link to that as well. Quick question I'm curious about, and I know that, 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 that eating addiction is probably one of the most, because you talked specifically about it, like someone would wonder why, and it's because food, you have to eat food. You have to eat substrates every single day. Call them fuel, call them substrates, call them information, call them nutrients, right? But for most people, it's like, I eat to live, my husband lives to eat. And so when it comes to the eating piece of this, is there anything in the program or anything in terms of what you offer help with other addictions? Because my my gut tells me is that if we've got an eating addiction, and given that that's probably one of the hardest addictions to break, there probably is another addiction behind that one too. So is there anything in the program besides helping to rewire how your brain works around eating that would help the brain to rewire around anything else? Well, what's going to happen is when you start bright line eating, your dopamine receptors are going to start to heal significantly because you're not giving them the onslaught of sugar and flour every day like you used to do. And that's going to help all your other addictions, right? We don't offer specific targeted guidance around, you know, alcoholism, drug addiction, quitting smoking or whatever. You can find that, you know, is alcohol the allowed to do that. No, alcohol I and sugar. So. I didn't yeah. think so. Okay, I was just, just curious. That would help, you know, someone yeah. <laughs> Right, well, I guess there, we, we put up a bright line for you about alcohol. Yeah, 
Totally. Okay. So, I mean, and, and understandably so, you know, and I, and I get that also food is such a major player in all of our healing journey. You heal your gut, you heal your liver, you heal those hormones, you heal your brain chemistry. You're not firing off that, that dopamine every, every two hours, depending on what you're consuming. There's a, there's healing that goes on there. I was just curious because I know, you know, being the, you've been studying the neurochemistry for so long. And I know that so much of that is applied here. That's how the program, it's, the structure of that and understanding how the brain works that allows for this program to be so successful. I was just curious if there was like side ancillary side benefits to other things that people may see outside of just the normal healing of that brain chemistry of, of those neurotransmitters working a little bit more efficiently. So I was just, just asking, because I bet somebody was wondering if that was the true in the case. So that first step is really the quiz. Just, I mean, just because I think any of us and all of us would like to know. I think there's some level of deep knowing of like, mm, probably for me, this is the case. But like having that clarity and that confirmation, I think is always a win. And then I take it the program is on the page as well. Where we can just learn more about how to get started. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've made it so easy to get started. The Brightline Eating membership now is just 20 bucks a month. It just couldn't be easier. And with that, we give you the entire program about how to lose your excess weight. And we focus a lot on maintenance. We help people get into what we call their bright body because not everybody's aiming to be thin, but we help you get off the excess weight that you want to get off and live in your bright body. And then we teach you how to transition to maintenance and live there, live there for years and decades. We have several published papers, one in the Journal of Nutrition and Weight Loss, showing that when people start Brightline Eating, two years later, they've maintained all their excess, all their weight loss. Two years later, they're still maintaining three times clinically significant weight loss two years later. So we're not just a quick fix, one and done. We're scientifically validated. Uh, the real deal. It works. I love that. And then also just real quick question. I take it this is something that you are, you've you've been following forever as yeah, well. So 18 just, years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. awesome. Anything else you want to, before we, I know before we get all the show notes and get everything to everybody, anything you want to add, Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson, before we, we finish up? I just want to say food is the hardest. Weight struggles are the hardest. I mean, just all the things I've struggled with my life, it's been the hardest for me. And if you have struggled in that way, I just want to say you're not alone and your brain has been fighting you. There is a reason why you have started with such deep gut level conviction that you're going to tackle this one and get it this time. And then a few months later, it's all just fizzled away and you're back, you know, eating in a way that isn't in alignment with your goals, your ambitions, your highest vision for yourself. I just want you to know you're not alone. You're not alone. And there is a reason that that has continued to happen in your brain and Brightline Eating can solve that and explain that for you. But I just want, mostly, I want you to know you're not alone. And Marisa, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been really delightful. Hmm, Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. I so appreciate you. And I'm really excited for everyone to go and check this out. I know that there's so many people in need, including my sister. And, you know, I think anyone listening to this right now are thinking about people in their life that could use use this level of structure and then them them themselves. So I just want to say thank you. Thanks, Marisa. Well, I think Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson is definitely onto something. It's clear to me that she has a great understanding of the chemical component of food addiction and how that plays in a lot of our lives. Now, although I do believe that emotions, stress, exhaustion, and hormonal imbalance play a crucial role in stubborn weight gain as well, I do know that food companies work very hard to make us extremely addicted to food. 
Now, one of the reasons why I created my 14-day detox program, which is kicking off next week on March 1st, is to create food freedom in as little as two weeks. But the caveat is, is you have to swap out those addictive foods for gut and liver loving foods for 14 straight days to get over the hump of that addiction and to experience that true food freedom. And I know that that can be challenging for many, many people. That's why, although we've had tens of thousands of people interested, we've had about 5,000 people go through the program. Now, the reason why I know that so many people want to do the detox is that they tell me all of the time, but they are afraid that they're going to fail and fall victim to the addictive foods at their work, at their parties, even at their home, because they weren't able to remove that ice cream or candy from the house because of other members of the household aren't on the program and don't want to give up those foods. And what I know to be true is that you do have to remove those foods if you're ever going to have food freedom. Whether it's my detox or Susan's Brightline Eating Program, eliminating those foods are a must to healing the brain, those neurotransmitters, along with your gut, liver, and cells. So it's worth considering. And there are amazing ways to set yourself up for success, like having an accountability buddy or removing the big offenders from your home or focusing on three meal magic, right? There's a lot of different ways that we can get there. Now, if you want to see if you're struggling with food addiction, I have the link for Dr. Susan, her amazing quiz on emotional eating and learning more about Brightline Eating as well. It's going to be in the show notes for this episode, which is 346. And the link for the 14-day detox, in case you are still considering it, again, you got some time, we start next week, will also be included in the show notes. And we have a few more spots in the live group if you act soon. So thank you so much for listening in on the Essentially You podcast today. This show is all about providing tools to rock your hormones and feel amazing in your body. Now, if there's someone in your life that needs to hear this episode today, take a moment, screenshot it, send it to them via text or share it on social media. If you share it on social, especially on Instagram, hashtag hormone literacy or hormone CEO. Until the next episode, have an amazing day. 